0: all right what did did the duck what did what did the duck (laughs) sorry can you can you use the words deduct defense detail and uh defeat in the same sentence he deducted details of the defense which led to his defeat defeat of deduct went over defense before detail oh my god (laughs)
1: what's up polo people welcome to the north side polo podcast i'm your host gavin here with my friends
0: and teammates alex hey what's up i'm here and
2: liam hey what's up i'm also here
1: okay good now that i know you're both actually here that means we can begin the podcast
0: right no, and... no, i'm over there i'm over here not over there i don't know let's do it you guys it. are confusing me now i thought okay
1: <laughs> We, we start the podcast every week with something very important, and that is the news. Who knows what the big news is this week? Uh, something about an election. No, that's not the news. We're not talking about elections. Um, the big news for bike polo this week is uh, the brand new Enforcer model drop. The Enforcer 1.3 is released, um, and by the time this podcast was being recorded. So as of now, they're half sold out. So by the time you hear it, they might be completely sold out. But they're, uh, they're just going to be gone. That's yeah. the. Kind... <laughs> but check and see if you want to get one. And this is the first you're hearing of it. But you know, this is the kind of up to date, <laughs> expedited news you expect from
0: this Polo podcast. And just in case you didn't catch the earlier discussion about it, this is a new 26 inch. Uh, Enforcer but aluminum frame And this is the first aluminum frame they've done I think Yep
1: It's the first aluminum enforcer Made I'm very excited about it So excited I actually bought one So Aaron send that my way I'm really excited to uh, give it a try I hear it's extremely light compared to the old Enforcer Which I love dearly I'm going to keep it But uh, I'm excited to try this new one Not to mention guys It's
0: purple So I hate to do this. I know we don't want to be a political podcast, but I have to fact check you, Gavin. You did not buy one. You bought <laughs> more than one. That
1: is true. Yeah. I ordered four for my club.
0: We kind of yeah. all went in on Whoa. it together.
1: So we got four coming <laughs> so to Ottawa.
0: There's we're limited supplies about. and basically Northside's region, specifically the Ottawa club is going to have, like you were going to see these on a court near you because our region is getting flooded with them. Apparently. <laughs> yeah i think there's maybe one or two going to montreal
1: too that's the rumors on the street but uh definitely four coming to ottawa so that's first tournament awesome. of 2024
2: everyone's going
0: to be riding the same bike
1: wouldn't it be a dream can't you, you know what just hap- this happens every time
0: like a really sweet new polo whip comes out it's like everyone's like damn that looks so sick like i thought that when i got the ad astra i was like this is so cool and I don't think I've ever gone to a polo tournament where there hasn't been another Ad Astra at the tournament, which is not a bad thing. It means that it's a good bike and other people are using it. But I, I think part of the appeal to that sick purple paint job is that it's going to look really cool and stand out as a unique thing. And the unfortunate reality of our club, especially the Ottawa club, if there's going to be four or five of these, um, there, there's going to be a point where you were playing pickup and the entire team has the same purple bike.
1: And I can't wait, but you know, like Enforcer did such a good job and Aaron Hand did such a good job with this bike. The price point on it is unbelievable. 350 yeah. US shipped anywhere in the States, 450 the rest of the world. Like that's cheaper yeah. than the regular Enforcer was at 500 US by without shipping added onto it. And then like if you look at other polo brands around the world, like... It's so much
0: cheaper and it's lightweight and it, now, and the geometry is proven at this point. Yeah. It's and they're just great bikes. Like there's a reason that they're this popular and people are jumping in. I'm I'm not saying that there isn't it isn't a fantastic bike, and you know because it, it, it is. It, lo- it looks cool. It if it wasn't 26, I would probably order one. The other thing I'll say though is uh, finally the tw- the 26 inch riders out there can experience like a good geometry aluminum frame polo bike it's pretty much what every 700 player has been playing on for the past like 10 years but you guys can finally experience that um and maybe maybe that's what you've been missing you know i feel like this is directed at me
1: um (laughs) all i'll say is that there are other really good aluminum 26 inch bikes on the market look at the concept ones that have come out they're incredibly whippy like jimmy rides one down in ann arbor and uh it's so light and so quick and looks awesome and you know what 700 some great bikes out there too obviously the trek t1 is probably the most notable aluminum one but then you got the Lightfoot and some of the riding in circles and even enforcer came out with the 700 one and of course i would be amiss if i didn't mention the ad astra and that but of course that's
0: not an aluminum bike liter eighth inch so some of the i'm mixing in some steel frames here but yeah there's a lot of really great bikes out there um But you know what? None of them are is three is four fifty shipped, and polo specific, and fucking badass purple. It's true. And you know what? I was thinking
1: Elias. We had him on the podcast a few episodes ago. He's coming out with that new uh, the boot knife rotor guard. The boot knife. The boot knife, and it's purple too. This is like a yeah. match made in heaven, eh?
0: I was so close yeah. to just yeah. like snapping one of them up too. I don't know. <laughs> well, you I should. Made up I mean, mind yet. I feel like if you're going to order like five of these bikes to Ottawa, you may as well go ahead and put in a pre-order with Elias and bring a couple boot knives in to the to the club too.
2: I like how he said it's available in any color you want, as long as you want purple.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that should have been on, I the, uh, should have
2: been on the, the Enforcer too. Available That's, in any color, yeah. as long as you want purple.
0: Honestly, that should have been the name of the episode with Elias. Elias purple. joins the show, any color you want, as long as it's purple. <laughs> okay so let's move it along
1: here we got a few topics to discuss this week um and i think that's all the news we had right so a couple topics to discuss um and the first one i'll have
0: alex introduce because he's the one that uh, put this in the show notes so alex what's this all about okay so there was a really interesting discussion on uh our bike polo which is the the bike polo subreddit which is dubiously active you know there's I like it because there's kind of... I feel like stuff pops up there every couple weeks. Sometimes, you know, a month Mm -hmm. goes by and there's nothing. But it's like a... It's a very international uh, online community. And every now and then people post shit. And it's really cool to see uh, what the community have. A couple people have posted this podcast on there. uh, Which is great to see. Um, But one of the more recent discussions from you Retro Direct uh, was about a bike polo steering simulation. Now, I don't know who this person is um, outside of their Reddit account, but based on their Reddit account, they appear to be a frame manufacturer, and I assume a bike polo player, uh, and they've basically gone off the deep end as far as uh, calculating optimal sort of steering geometry, head angle, uh, crown to axle length, like just the all the nitty gritty of bike polo frame sort of manufacturing stuff. Um, And they've posted some really cool charts and simulations and offered a really great explanation on some of the sort of um, concepts associated with bike polo and turning radiuses, specifically a discussion around jackknifing. Hmm. That's it.
1: (laughs) So what's the findings? Like, what is the... What's the correct head angle?
0: Um, So I don't think they necessarily come up with like a final, this is what you should play at. Um, But one of the things they talked about that I found super interesting is they were looking at how much your bike turns versus how much you lean your bike over. So if you're familiar with turning on a bicycle, um, it isn't like turning on a car where you turn the steering wheel and the wheels turn. I mean, yes, you turn your handlebar and the wheel turns, but a lot of the time when you're riding quickly or you're riding uh, aggressively, you actually, you lean and then the bars sort of follow you. Like, you're not steering with your handlebars, you're you're steering with your hips or your, your weight. And that, as the bike, because it's a three-dimensional thing, as it leans over, it actually changes the headset angle. And so they've mapped out Um, sort of a graph as you go from like 5 degrees to 10 degrees all the way up to 45 degrees how that affects your virtual steering angle and then they talked a little bit about how that angle, it's when it passes a certain point that the wheel then jackknifes on you and that's why if you're an experienced polo player you'll know if if you're turning your wheel while leaning into it it becomes a lot easier to jackknife and it's because you're actually increasing your angle um It's a very interesting conversation. Hmm. But something that they brought up that I found super interesting is that they were basically arguing, even though your steer angle, which is sort of how vertical the fork is, like if you think of a BMX bike, it's pretty much 90 degrees like straight up and down. Um, And then if you think of like a touring bike, you just want, you know, you just want to go straight and have a smooth line. So you've got that front wheel rake really far out in front. Um, the point that they brought up is when you factor in when you're building a bike polo specific frame you want to factor in the fact that most of the turning that this bike is doing is actually at crazy campers and weird angles so they made the argument that kind of counterintuitively it's okay to have a reasonably raked out front wheel and bike polo even though conventional wisdom would say uh, a high rake wheel will handle worse Which, they're not saying that won't handle worse. They're just saying you can get away with more than you would think, especially if that prevents your uh, toe from overlapping with your front wheel. I agree from a steering perspective with this,
1: but I disagree from a ball handling perspective. Like, I don't want a raked out fork in front of me when I'm trying to ball handle in front of my front wheel. Like, I want to be over my front wheel so I can maneuver the ball in front of my bike very easily left to right is you know i, can I th- kind of swung yeah. through stuff and change direction and i think i that, think that would sorry. yes handle bike handling is important but the rake will also impact the ability like i have to go even much more over my handlebars to reach out in front or use a longer mallet i guess
0: but yeah all these things I would mean, affect my ball handling i think that in that case you would compensate for that by with fit insert in terms of like where your seat post is at, how big your frame is and how long your stem is. Like, I think you can achieve the same reach while still having the same, like a different, like your, your wheel in a different place. Um, assuming mm. that you can like fit the rest of the bike around you. It, this is where bike fit, like bike fitting and getting really sort of into the weeds, uh, for polo specific bike fitting gets kind of, you know, you can just go off the deep end um the other thing that i will say that they brought up that's really cool is how wheelbases are affected by head angles and how that sort of and i'll be honest i wish i could go into more detail about this but this is over my head technically uh in terms of understanding what all these terms mean but if you're a technical savvy person um this post is on the the our bike polo page and if you want to learn about mechanical trail and wheel offset uh They did a great job of linking to articles that explain that in more detail than I can understand. Yeah, we should put a link to that.
2: And I think there's also a site in Germany, I think I might have mentioned it before, the Max Power Cycles. They are a polo Mm -hmm. builder in Germany and on their website, they have a tech talk. It's just a page. And I think, like you're talking about the trail, right? Mechanical trail. that's, That's sort of the name of the article. There's a small blurb about that at the bottom of this article as well. Um, but it also kind of addresses like frame material, wheels, tires, Mm -hmm. and like common things about polo bikes. Um, and it seems it's, it's very well explained, although I haven't really had the time to like, because (laughs) it's sort of like, this is the work that polo builders that the frame builders do. So you don't have to really think about it It, Yeah, for me at least. It is cool to dive in, but I'm like, you know, I'm paying you guys the money so that they can do the testing and do all the (laughs) figuring out the most efficient polo bike.
0: Yeah. And by the time you're riding it, like all of these decisions have been made. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're not, this isn't something we're swapping out in the middle of a, of a game. Like I want to be faster in the corners. So I'm going to change my, <laughs> I'm going to change my yeah. steer angle or something. Yeah. That would be adjustable head to angle. See, it's that true. would be like... like the ultimate Polo competitive bike Polo. Like Polo is a sport. You've got like a pit crew and you're like, okay, this court, we got to, we got to adjust the front end of my bike. <laughs> well, I mean, I've made. I've made adjustments depending on the court. Like a slippery court, you take
1: a bit of air out of your front tire so you mm-hmm, don't like mm-hmm. you know have that front wheel skid. Or um, definitely, what else do we do? Sometimes put tape on the bottom of our mallet so that when we're planting, it uh, doesn't oh, slide yeah. out from underneath us. Especially on indoor courts, that's something we keep in yeah. mind. It's a very interesting classic. conversation. And you know what? I think there's so much bike geometry for bike polo that is like user based or um, preferences. But you know what? This is why we just buy the pre-made bike, like the Enforcer, right? Because it's are all this thinking already been done so for good. us. No, I'm so just kidding. Good. They're all good, right? <laughs> but um, this is why we look at those geometries. But there's a bunch of other geometries, and even understand that you can look at some track bikes and realize that oh, that's pretty close to a polo geometry.
0: I think I summarize most people's rea- most players' reactions to sort of this very in-depth discussion of. Uh, of the head tube angle sort of mechanical trail, uh, which is Reddit user demo 7,000 says, uh, the fuck am I looking at? (laughs) (laughs) That That is is uh, the correct response. Yeah. It's like, I is
1: complex stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I will say you retro direct posted a little bit earlier a picture of the bike that they were using or at least i assume the bike that they were using and it looks slick it's uh that's that green and I, pink one eh? yeah i love custom like i as cool as the enforcer is you don't have the ballin quality of a custom frame and this is a this is a ballin custom frame
2: yeah but it there's is. also that photo of mo's custom paint job and that was an enforcer and that thing is
0: freaking yeah wonderful. Oh, yeah. For those people who
1: don't know who are listening to the podcast, this man in Montreal took, I don't know, months during quarantine and hand painted his whole bike in the most high quality of way. And it is stunning. Uh, maybe it, we can get I, a picture I, of that on our Instagram. We probably should. I awesome will be up. so
0: bold to say that if you are the kind of individual that is inclined to follow Bike Polo closely enough that you're listening to this podcast, especially if you're within North Sides, you're also probably the kind of individual that has already seen a picture of Mo's bike, whether or not you knew <laughs> it, was, it was his. Um, it is the orange to yellow fade on one side, and then a pink to light blue fade on the other side, and then the word enforcer like that graphic has been preserved in sort of the counter color it is stunning
1: yeah i'll definitely get some pics for the instagram okay primary topic i can't wait any longer let's get to the meat <laughs> this meat is a big one is a doozy it is it's a huge topic and i don't know how we're going to tackle it all today we probably won't we'll have to revisit it at some point Absolutely. but uh today we're talking defense defense Obviously, which fence
0: the defense.
1: defense the defense, defense. yeah okay so, uh big part of the game Liam did a bit of research and found a great quote about defense Liam you wanna give us this quote <laughs> uh yeah
2: it's defense is attack attack is defense each being the cause and the result of the other none other than bruce lee said that About well, there bike have ball. it
0: he was talking he was talking about like pulling said it.
2: that exactly yeah in his famous yeah. bike polo movie it's a deep cut i, I would i would, you wa- know this, I would watch Bruce
0: Lee actually invented bike polo i um, would have watched a briefly bike polo movie so badly <laughs> yeah would have worn
1: out my eyes watching that film okay so the reason why we're talking about defense on the show is obviously defense is one of these topics doesn't matter what sport you're playing but it's always underrated. You know, people spend a lot of time discussing offense, practicing ball handling, practicing shooting, passing. But the point is, I mean, most of the time when you're playing polo, there's five other people on the court and only one ball. You're not going to have the ball most of the time. So what are you doing when you don't have the ball that's going to make you a strong player? Because most of the time you're not going to have it.
0: So And, oh, sorry, keep going. So... um. I, I just ruined it. I fuck it! Group. I completely ruined it. That and that is how powerful good defense is. See, so you, you just you cut exactly. it. You throw you them off their line. You just ruined.
1: <laughs> there you go. No, but it's super important. And obviously, defense stopping your opponent from scoring goals is just as important as scoring goals yourself. All yeah. you need is one defense goal. Defense wins right? championships. If you play good enough defense.
0: Yeah, I will say, uh, if your team has the ball the majority of the time like you're not having to play defense the majority of the time then you're probably doing pretty all right in that game chances I would... are
1: i'd say that heuristic holds most of the time yeah 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 so oh, what sorry.
2: makes for good defense in your opinion gav
1: well i think it's multifaceted right we got to look at defense from an individual perspective as well as a team-level perspective, right? Because there's lots of skills that I can practice or learn or keep in mind when I'm playing pole that are going to make me a better defender as an individual. However, it's kind of all for naught if my whole team isn't buying in. Defense and bike pole is really a team thing, right? And working as a team on that end to cover your bases, cover up for each other's weaknesses, or defend specific players in their team is what's going to turn your defense from what could be a good defense to an amazing defense. And we're going to go over each of those things. So why don't we begin with the individual level? So Liam, Alex, what do you think are the most important properties um,
0: and things to keep in mind when you're playing defense as an individual? So I just want to put in context, like if you're a new player, um, defense, like getting defense can be overwhelming. I remember being new and trying to learn how to play defense and it just felt like either I wasn't good enough to defend these other players or I was just crashing into them and they were getting mad at me. Um, (laughs) And I think that it's important to keep talking to people and trying to learn it. The brutal thing about defense is you kind of can't practice it during solo polo. One of the things we always talk about on this podcast is that if you want to get better at bike polo, you got, you know, play some solo polo, practice those ball touches. Well, you can't really practice defense on your own because you're responding to what the other person's doing. And I think that is sort of on the individual level. What can you do defensively? It's ultimately respond to what the other player's doing without, without committing a foul. Like don't, just crash into them that's not <laughs> i mean that's great defense but it's uh that's not how we play this game
2: well i think you're right it's it's intimidating if you're a new player like i certainly was very worried about running into people because i still wasn't confident about my own ability of riding the mm-hmm. bike and playing polo right so it was definitely intimidating when you're playing you know people that have played for five years and you're just on a bike and they're steaming full speed well, towards you and you're just like, absolutely oh, i don't know what
0: to do and, and i think, I
2: think I was going to say, uh, once you have that control on, on your bike and once you establish that it's, it's like putting yourself in the right places is I think most important on the individual (laughs) level and just giving them like, just putting pressure. I know like I screw up a lot just knowing that I'm like, oh, someone's on my ass and I'm about to, you know, like just putting pressure. I feel like whether it's with the mallet or riding alongside with the bike, just being in their way, I think is enough to i mean it's not everything but you just have to be able to keep up i think to sort of put that pressure on the person because i feel like a lot of a lot of passive defense is like you're sort of putting this pressure on them and just waiting for the ball to come out or to them to make a mistake mm-hmm. or to shoot and then they will lose possession um whereas the active defense is more like you know getting in there to the corner and like sw- swinging with your mallet or putting on a forecheck or something like yeah, that absolutely
0: Mm -hmm. they're all
2: important aspects
0: I mean I think the main thing that makes defending so intimidating especially for new players is the main thing you do when you're defending is you're putting your bike between the person with the ball and the net and if you're a new player it feels real this is one of the only times that you're going to deliberately ride your bike in front of someone and slam the brakes which if that person has the ball you're allowed to do And you probably should do. You should get in their way. And you should try and be as, you know, mess them up as much as you can without hitting them illegally. But getting in front of them is the main, like getting in front of them and staying in front of them is the main objective.
1: Right. And that's easier said than done, especially if you're not positionally sound, right? Mm -hmm. And the tip I always give beginner players and even sometimes intermediate players for like getting better at individual defense especially when they're defending someone who has the ball is your front wheel should probably be pointed in the same direction as their front wheel um, or towards your own net at least because oftentimes what you'll see is players maybe they're overly aggressive maybe they don't know quite know where to be or the flow of the game yet but they're going to ride straight at the person with the ball and try and like take a wild swipe with their mallet at it as they ride by. Well, for most players who have decent ball control, they're just going to move the ball around and kind of get out of the way. And then you're going to be behind the person with the ball, mm-hmm. and they're going to be riding towards your net, and you'll be out of the play. So what I always tell people is try to start on an angle and see if you can get in between them and the net while still being on the inside. Like You're closer to the net than they are. You're in between them and yep. the net, but you're both traveling in the same direction. And I'm always coaching players to, you know, take an angle so that your riding pushes them out towards the outside of the court. The further we can get them to the edges of the court, the worse their angle of shooting is going to be. And the way you do that is by riding in front of their front wheel. So I usually want my front wheel to be slightly, maybe half a wheel, maybe a whole wheel in front of their front wheel. Because when that's the case, I can direct them. Because if mm-hmm. they don't follow my direction, they're t-boning me. Yeah.
0: Um, as As Elias said, you're allowed to occupy space, and you want if you're playing defense, you want to occupy the space between the person with the ball and your net. But the and big you thing is just them figure out how to go around you. Right. The big thing is just to
1: make sure that we're riding in a way that no matter where they move, we can react and keep our bike between them and the net. If we're mm-hmm. riding straight at them as fast as we can a simple move to the side and then we're out of the play and now our teammates have to scramble for a 2 on one and
0: we just don't want to leave our teammates hanging like that. Yeah. I mean if I you think... if they're riding towards you and your bike is facing the opposite direction from someone, they only have to get around you for one moment because that's the only time like it's just because they're facing the other direction, they're past you and then they're done. But if you're facing the same direction, they have to stay with you.
2: I think um one of the other individual things is, is awareness. And, um, Cause I think maybe this touches on the team level thing when you sort of have a strategy, like the first defensive strategy I can think of is uh, the ball turned over and you have one player sort of doing a press, which is going after the player with the ball and yeah, like you said, riding alongside them and, and pressuring them and trying to make a forecheck on the ball. Another player t- uh, will take the net and be the goalie. And then the second player will kind of play zone in front of the net. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe trying to sort of screen a shot or to like block a pass from other players. So like on the individual level, having the awareness to know like as soon as that turnover happens or as soon as you need to turn this formation, it is like being adaptable because it's not like you can do the same position every time. I mean, some people might gravitate, I guess, towards being in net more often. Um, But like being aware of where you need to be in that sort of scheme and whether or not that's the scheme you want, maybe you want to do like two person on the ball or whatever. Um, but like, I think the awareness to make the defense flow and like, cause I see that a lot in like really high level matches is how like flowy the defense is. Like, it's like, it's almost just like you don't even, it's not like everyone stops and suddenly mm-hmm. jerks back and is like <laughs> running back towards the net. It's like the turnover happens and someone's already in the net and someone's already bl- like blocking and you're just like, Whoa, this is crazy. Like, To me, that's another pretty important facet of of defending the ball.
1: Yeah, of course. That's kind of like the team aspect part of it. And we're going to get to that. in the defense you just described, I guess we'll have to name it eventually. But we're definitely going to talk about that when we get to the team level. But having that individual awareness to know what your role is in the moment and also communication aspect, right? Like defense is a team game (laughs) way more than offense is. Mm -hmm. and. You need to be communicating with your teammates often. Be like, I got the ball. You got number two. I'm in net. Or, oh, he's coming. Watch the pass. Or, I got four check here. Like, this is something that needs to be yelled out and need to be talking about. There's so many times I can think about how communication has played a massive role in my defensive strategy. What do you guys think about, like, mallet play? Is that so, an important part of defense? How does it fit?
0: I mean, ultimately, the objective with your defense is to get possession of the ball. You want to turn them away. You want to get possession, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, y- y- you're not, you're pro- you're not going to do that by just staying between them and the net. You do have to eventually tr- make a play with your mallet. The way uh, it's always been explained to me is you want to keep an active mallet. It's sort of this you're you're never you know as you're riding your bike you're keeping your space you're keeping between them you and the net and you're sort of trying to angle them the player with the ball to the outside of the court you're reaching around with your mallet and you're trying to see like hey did they just push the ball too far forward did they are they playing it too far on one side can i reach in can i get a touch can i disrupt them um and that's where we call it keeping an active mallet part of it too is like covering your bottom bracket just sort of hovering it through there so that they can't play the ball through there. Or if you see a pass that they might go for, you're putting your mallet sort of proactively in between or in on side that they're going to probably try to pass to just so that if they mess up their touch, you're going to be able to get a touch on the ball.
1: Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. I think that the mallet plays so important, any way you can kind of harass them or make their job a little harder in controlling the ball using your mallet, you go for
0: it, but it's never at the Mm -hmm. sacrifice of your bike position. Like, that's yeah. just sound and, and I fundamentals. Will, I will say, be very careful that your mallet does not end up under their front wheel. Because if you are reaching around, and I'm guilty of this sometimes, but I'll be overly aggressive with my mallet, and you end up kind of, you're trying to make a play on the ball, and the way that they're turning, you just end up scooping their front wheel up from under them. And that is a foul that most refs will call every single time. For sure. For oh, yeah. sure. I mean, now,
2: accidental or not, it's a
0: yeah accidental or not standard absolutely. penalty <laughs> there's one thing
1: i'm kind of curious about so there are definitely times if i think back to some of the bigger games that i've played where i think it was right to maybe play a little more aggressively and sacrifice my bike position to try and get a steal mm-hmm. and i'm thinking mostly like in the far end for check like if there's a rebound and i run to the corner i might put myself out of position if that player gets there first, but it might be worth it to make a play on the ball because I think that I can get back in the play
0: by the time they've controlled it and made a play on it. Does that make sense? Do you kind of understand yeah, what I, I'm getting at here? I, I do that all the time. I think you're probably way too familiar with me recklessly for checking in the, in the front because I know my great teammates and Gavin and Liam, if I get beat, they're going to be able to pick that player up with the ball. So I'll take a 20% chance. It's getting control of the ball and keeping control of the ball in their end. Um, over, you know, just just riding back and trying to give up some, you know, give up that court position. But I think the judgment that gets made there is where is that
1: challenge occurring on the court, and what's the mm-hmm. situation, right? If it's and- in the chaos of a turnover and it's in the corner near their net, you have a bit more time to play with to, you know, get caught up to the play and to get back into it before they can capitalize on your mistake. Whereas if Absolutely. it's in your half and you're playing defense and you try to be uber aggressive and get taken out of the play, well now they're 20 feet from your net and yeah. they can shoot whenever they want and be pretty accurate. Right. So that's a much higher risk, um, lower reward situation. Well, maybe similar rewards, but
0: much higher well, risk. I would say more importantly than necessarily where you are on the court. I think it's where your teammates are on the court. I'm way more likely to be overly aggressive on the ball carrier, trying to turn in and get a steal. If I know that when I fail, my teammate can pick that player up.
1: Right. And so, yeah, I think I couldn't agree more with you there. I just remember looking at these notes. There's one part of defense we haven't even talked about. And that's checking. Yes. Playing physically. That wasn't even in our show I, notes, guys. I was, I was Where does once that told, fall
0: into defense? What do you think? I was once told by a veteran <laughs> player in Toronto that shall remain nameless that I don't play defense, I play obstruction. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I would just ride in on my big bike and lean on the person with the ball until they decided it wasn't worth it anymore. And one of the best compliments I, I have received as a player in the last year was someone came up to me and said, you have really cleaned up your game and it's actually fun to play with you now. <laughs> so, um, hashtag reformed for it. Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. I think there's definitely a place for leaning on people using your shoulder against the boards to kind of lean on someone. I'm going to be honest. It's not something I really ever do purposely. And it's not something I ever practice, So it's not a huge part of my game. And I really don't even know how to use it effectively. But I think there is a place, right? Especially if you can pinch someone against the board and really stop their forward momentum and put them under pressure to get that ball. Um, it's a style you can use. But what I will say is just make sure you're keeping it high and even. And you're not putting anyone in danger with those kind of moves.
0: And save that for when it's appropriate and not at Monday night pickup. Pretty much the only time I'll do it now is if I'm playing defense and I leave about a bike width between me and the boards and a phys- another physical player decides to try and get between me and the boards, I'm going to shut the door on them. Uh, I feel like at that point, they're asking for it. It's part of the game. And uh, as long as it's high and even, you know, they can't complain.
1: Some something to be used sparingly, but it's definitely a technique. And if you watch any of the like high-level games, people are using them. So check it out. Maybe ask those guys and girls what they're doing to uh, use that physical contact to play defense.
0: The thing is, where the place that I see checking get used um, reactively, or where it gets used incorrectly a lot, is as a reaction. It's when you realize, oh crap, someone got past me, and then you try to... You know, maybe I can slow them down or something. And when you make when you use contact or checking in that situation, it's almost always going to be a penalty because it's almost never going to be high and even. Right. It's something that definitely takes like some forethought
1: and planning. It's really hard. Maybe you practice it a lot or your club uses it a lot. Um, You can really like think to yourself, okay, here's my opportunity. I'm going to lean in on them. Um, and I think in some of those situations, it's super effective. And you know what? If you have a partner that you want to practice with, like, leaning on each other, I think that's, like, a great way to mm-hmm. practice some of these skills in off the court, right? Out know, of games.
0: Yeah. Lean and definitely, I think the most effective physical defense isn't necessarily a physical defense we're actually pushing on people because that's dangerous and exhausting, but it's the implied physical defense or the threat of physical defense. A lot of the time, just by putting yourself in a position and not being afraid of incidental contact if it happens, the other player with the ball is not going to opt in to trying to rub shoulders with you and ride through you. They're going to respect the space that you have on the court most of the time because it's just not a winning proposition if you have the ball to try and ride through a defensive player, even if you, you know, you're not T-boning them, but if you're going to try to ride so close to a defensive player that they could rub shoulders with you high and even, most of the time an offensive player is never going to go for that play. And that's kind of how you can leverage the space you take up on the court as a defender. Awesome. So to summarize our
1: discussion about good individual defense, you want to keep your bike between uh, the ball and your net and try to guide the players as much as you can to the outside of the court by keeping your bike pointed the same direction as their bikes pointed and just riding them out by keeping your front way in front of theirs. Keep an active mallet, stay aggressive, and uh, play as a team. Communicate with your other teammates. And you know what? If you feel like using some physical contact and you're good at it and you can do it safely, go ahead and do that. But yeah. what I would say even more important than individual defense is staying true to your team's concept on defense and whatever your Absolutely. team's strategy that they're using, choosing the right one, first of all, for the matchup you're playing, but then adhering to that. There's nothing more frustrating than playing with a teammate that you everyone agrees they're going to do a certain strategy, and then once you get on the court, it's kind of out the ear. So my question for you, I Liam and Alec, to start this Hi. team defense uh, conversation <laughs> up is, if you guys were coaching a beginner team and you had to kind of explain a basic defensive strategy to them uh, that would improve their game and increase their odds of winning, which strategy would you choose and how, what would you tell them basically?
2: Get the ball back.
1: <laughs> no,
2: uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, well, what would you call that one? I mentioned earlier, the defense so, when you've got a yeah, person chasing. I think that's, the the, I think that's the classic I, can, standard can I, defense.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll just summarize this a bit because I, I just dropped some bullet points in. I think this is like the most conventional. Uh, if I go to pick up and I'm playing in a club that I've never been in, this is kind of what I expect people to play. Uh, and I, I'm not sure what you would call it, but the basic rules, I'd say there's like there's three rules, right? It's like a decision making flow chart. Um, defense starts as soon as the ball's turned over. So as soon as your team loses possession, you, you should start thinking in terms of this flowchart. If you're the closest person to the ball, cover the person with the ball. So wherever you are on the court, if the other team, if someone on the other team has the ball and I'm the closest player on my team to that person with the ball, I'm gonna cover them. And that's that's pretty simple. Then I I know that I'm in the right place and I'm doing the right thing. If I'm not the closest person to the ball, like which means one of my teammates is the closest person to the player with the ball, they're gonna cover the person with the ball. I look and see, is our net open? Is there somebody playing goalie for us? If there isn't someone playing goalie for us, I'm going to pedal back as fast as I can and I'm going to get a net. If I look up when my team loses the ball and my teammate is closer to the ball than me and another one of my teammates is either in the net or sprinting towards the net, then I'm going to look around and see where if there's like a pass that if there's a an open player that i can disrupt the pass or if i can come in behind and double team the player with the ball
1: hmm. interesting i like that i mean i always explain it as like three positions and i i don't know i kind of just call it like one two three defense um and i guess the easy way to explain it like alex that would be like on if a live ball turnover But I think it's sometimes easier to explain off a dead ball turnover. And what I mean by that is like there's a stoppage in play. The other team gets to bring the ball across half. So we're going to set up our defense. So Mm -hmm. number one is the person who I put like almost on the half line. Their job is to pick up the person who crosses half with the ball if possible. And their job basically what I coach them to do is try to make that player who has the ball pass the ball. This whole Mm -hmm. defense is about making the other team pass the ball as frequently and often as possible because every time they pass the ball, that's an opportunity for a turnover because passing is flipping hard. Um, (laughs) So we're trying to make them pass as much as we can. Um, The number two is a person who kind of floats in the middle. Now they can play, some people have them play another player. Some people will have them play kind of a middle zone or kind of be a second goalie outside of the crease. Um, I think both those are great. I kind of tend to like being outside the crease just because I find that gives me an opportunity to pick off a cross pass. I can also defend like a shot if it's a wild shot that that person is taking or a deep shot. I like being there. Um, And the three obviously is the goalie. So you have the one, the chase, who's marking the person with the ball. The two kind of float in the middle, watching the pass, but also kind of trying to keep their bike in between the shot and the net. And the three, who's the goalie. So the system that Alex is describing is great because it's basically a shortcut to mental shortcut to get yourself into this one, two, three defense right away and to do that, right? So if you're close to the ball, you're going to become the one. You're going to chase that ball and defend that player. If you are closest to the net or you see the net is open, become the goalie. And if you're in between or you see your friends get in the net or if they've called net, I got it, then you can be that two who's going to float around the middle and try and just cause a bit of mayhem. A lot of times the two, I think this is one of the more challenging positions because oh absolutely. it's somewhat indeterminate like what you're supposed to be doing but like i usually try to stay between the net and the the ball so i'm blocking the shot a little bit providing another set of wheels i'm watching for cross passes and those kinds of things i'm going to pick up a player if there's a drop pass so i'll pick up the player the pass was dropped to and then my hopefully my teammate will circle in and be the two and i'll become the one in that situation um or what I'll often do is I'll see if that player is going to try and beat our one. So I'm playing two and our one's guarding that player and the offensive player decides to push the ball forward and race for it to beat my teammate. I can pick that ball up before that player gets to it because they pushed it too far forward. So I'm looking for those opportunities as well. All kinds of different opportunities to force turnovers from that two position. But the biggest thing is making sure that we're communicating, like if there's a drop pass coming, who's picking up what, what position am I now, what position are you now, and making sure all your bases are covered. But I think that's like the most basic, most common defense you're going to see at most tournaments. Um, and, and the if biggest it's done thing really is to well, keep the communication really good.
0: Common. Yeah. Like you, what you described is, is the defense, and it sounds complicated when you're describing it, but when you're playing it, it's usually if my teammate is covering the person with the ball, first of all, I'll probably know, and if they get beat, they'll yell it out. That's one of the most important things when you're playing defense like this: is call what's happening. Like if your teammates, your teammates, if you're confused about whether or not you're a one or a two or where you should be on the court or who's in net, there's a good chance your teammates are confused about who's the one, the two, and who's on the net. And if that's the case, just call it out. Say say what's going on. Sometimes uh, I know when we've played tournaments together, Gavin, you'll just yell. You're like my ball. I'm on or something. And I know if I'm in sort of a limbo space, I know that I'll pick up whatever position you're not doing. Mm
1: -hmm. Because sometimes
0: a good offense is going to try and find those awkward holes in what your defense is doing. They're going to try and find that position where I'm not sure if I'm a one or a two and Gavin's not sure if he's a one or a two. So if we can clearly communicate with each other, that will make our defensive strategy work better. And that's why you hear players yell switch all the time
1: yeah right they're switching positions that's sort of
0: within that set defense mm-hmm.
2: yeah that's sort of a signal too on offense well yeah I don't know, depending what code word maybe it, they it, use but it i mean it's pretty be, obvious yeah. when you see another like you see the player with the ball riding one way and another player coming the other way you can assume they're I mean, they're probably going to drop it or they might fake it out and so your defense needs to act accordingly
0: for players that have not played with the Toronto Vets, and I mean like Toronto Vets that are much much older Vets than I am, they do this thing. I think it's pretty. I think it's kind of obnoxious. I think it's hilarious to, to witness. They don't call for the ball hardly ever. They do like I call them the woodland creatures of bike polo. They do like animal <laughs> calls. Like you'll hear if you've ever watched like Nahon play with Adam, they will do like bird calls and like animal calls on the court. And that yeah. usually means either I'm open for a pass or, like, switch or something, because they don't want to say switch. It'll kind of just be, like, a like a clucking noise or something, and then they'll seamlessly translate. It's it's crazy to watch. It was bizarre to, to realize. I'm sorry I've spoiled the playbook at this point. Um, but... <laughs> It it is really funny when their system is working. They're just like hooting and hollering and calling and making all these animal noises, and it it's it's a thing of beauty. That's pretty funny. I've it's actually also very intimidating. That. Yeah, I thought yes. they're just making
2: random noises.
1: Yeah, I, oh, I think there's a bit fun. of that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a bit of that too. What I will say about team defense, though, is that's like a really basic classic strategy that a lot of teams employ. If you watch any, like, polo from Worlds, you'll probably find one of the two teams is using that. But some of the teams use very different strategies. Like, Mm -hmm. there's some teams that as soon as the ball gets turned over, they just, like, slap on a hard forecheck and are so aggressive in trying to get that turnover. Like, that's like the uh, Mongrels, I'm pretty sure, like, they, they mix things up. But you'll frequently see them, like, double team or just very aggressive, challenging for the ball. And they have a really great goalie, in Morgan, that stays in the net almost all the time. But uh, they're constantly challenging and forechecking, and they're just so aggressive on defense. It's a very different strategy than like this one-two-three style that a lot of us play.
2: Yeah. Well, I think but, if I can use another sport analogy, sorry, I know bike ball is not a sport. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like in soccer, the Liverpool, which is like, I guess they were. I guess they won the league last year in premier league and they do, they do the exact same thing. Like as soon as they lose the ball, um, you know, on offense, like they're in the opponent's zone and they lose the ball, they immediately just like start attacking and trying to get that ball back because they're like, well, if we win the ball back, we're back in their zone. Yeah. That's good um, defense. <laughs> bike, yeah, it's good. It, it is a good defense and it's very effective. I mean, they won the league pretty handily, but, um, it, but yeah, I agree in bike polo, It's, it's effective as long as you have that person back, um, mm-hmm. and able to, because if that goes, i read like, you know, if you're not able to get the ball back, suddenly you're chasing and you're giving them a breakaway essentially. Right. If you have two people running in and being super aggressive. So I think it's, I think it can be very effective. Um, but maybe at your own peril, I, I, <laughs> I certainly would be like, try to do that and then just end up in a really bad spot. And you know, I'd be stuck. There'd be like the whole team would be soaring ahead and I would just, be playing catch up and well that's not this is defense
0: this is why i say my level of aggression always depends on where my teammate is if i know that i've got a teammate, and how much in beer net, you've had yeah and how much <laughs> beer i've had <laughs> but if i know that i've got a teammate that's back that that's sort of either in net or picking up the net and i've got another teammate that is if i completely whiff and take myself out of the play at least we have someone in net and someone that can pick up the person with the ball then I'll take a pretty. I'll take a risky line at the ball because usually, if I can just get a random turnover like that, it's usually you're you know you're setting yourself up for a breakaway in that situation. It's probably worth it. And again, depending it probably on probably how, is how much and beer
1: I've had. I mean it's all about the different situations you find in here. It's also about the other team you're playing against. Like mm-hmm. so many times, I know when I'm playing with Alex and Liam we have a conversation at about halfway through the game or there's a timeout or we scored like, okay, we're switching to a, a full court press yeah. now. So Gavin, you're going to be a lot more aggressive trying to steal the ball with your left-handedness and maybe you can force a turnover. Usually if we notice they don't play well against lefties, we might throw something like that on there. Or if so, one of the players is weaker with the ball handling, if that person gets the ball, we'll be more aggressive in pressing them because we think we can force more turnovers. We're always trying to, pick angles and see where the other team's offense is weakest and s- set our defense up in a way that's going to exploit that. And I think one of the interesting ones that we've done in the past where I know Alex and I have spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to defend this player is um, Tony Taco. Oh God, yeah. This
0: guy's a wizard. I don't,
1: I don't know how anyone can defend him <laughs> one-on-one. Well, he perfect- burns Alex and I every time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alex, you want to go I more in-depth in about that? Yeah, I, I think like we've played Tony in the last two tournaments we played and I don't think I have made a one-on-one stop against Tony ever. Like, I don't think I have ever successfully stopped this guy from riding past me with the ball, but I, but as a team, well, to varying success, we have stopped him from scoring. Yeah. And that, that is the, the, the key thing there is even though Tony is so much faster than me and he's got amazing ball control. And just you know, he's just generally an amazing player. If if I can make him in in getting around me, if I can at least slow him down enough and encourage him to go to the side that Gavin is on, then the time it takes him to get around me, hopefully Gavin can pick him up, and vice versa.
1: Right. And that's a strategy we employed when we played him. It's like tag team defense. So the 2 is ready to hop on to him as soon as he beats the first person. All the first mm-hmm. person is supposed to do is direct him to a side and slow him down enough the second person can hop on. Now, this leaves us pretty open to cross passes, but Tony is such an amazing player. We want to force his teammates to beat us. Um so we're hoping he passes the ball in a lot of
0: senses. Um And for what it's worth, last time we played them, both Tony and his teammates thoroughly beat us (laughs) they crushed us it's true
1: Um, but one of the strategies we employ against Tony which I think is really cool is throwing on strategic double teams right if we can get him pinched up somewhere and he decides to go to a spin move like we yell Mm -hmm. like now and then the second player will jump on because he's doing a pivot and he'll jump on the other side of him so that he can kind of block that off right away trying to hopefully force a turnover especially in late clock moments we'll do something like that but like these are the kind of conversations and strategies we talk about and figure out. And if you play with the same teammates long enough, you can start to build this cohesion and even start to recognize other players you often played against their play style and just build up defenses and these kinds of things that seem to work against certain teams or don't work and you get destroyed like five to one. But uh, you do the best you can, okay?
0: I, I will say it sounds a little crazy to go through all of this prep and to talk about players and to work on strategy like this. But having the one time we went to NA's, I had the privilege of watching Portland United play a game uh, against, I'm blanking on who it was, but it was another top team from uh, Cascadia, and watching them talk about how they were playing, they were having the exact same conversation, but they had different terminology for everything, they had their own system, they had their own sort of you're doing like code words and like different plays and defensive schemes. Like as much as this is ridiculous, it's also uh, it's also what the serious teams are doing at competitive levels. Um, And when it works, it's really fun. It's really, really fun.
1: I love it. I love the strategy part of it and like thinking through these things, especially because bike polo is one of those games that there aren't professional coaches whose life is devoted to finding the best strategies. So I think there's a lot of um, advantages to be gained by thinking about bike polo in a more analytical way, in a more strategic way that is going to get you some more edges when you're playing, especially from a team concept point of view, because uh, that work hasn't been done that much yet. There's a few
0: teams that do a great job of it and they reap the rewards. So what's, what's it called when you uh, stick someone in net for a whole tournament? What's that, what's that defensive play called? That's just about playing <laughs> to your horchata. strengths. That's playing to your
1: strengths. Um, you identify that's the You identify your best goalie, and that is such an important position. You don't mess with it. So you put <laughs> them in net, and they stay in net because if anyone else goes in net, you're going to blow that tournament because they're that <laughs> good at goalie. That's what it's all about. Like, that's their most valuable player, right? They're stopping all the shots. It's I mean I taking, will say that the in, big a,
0: rips. in a in a tournament game where I feel like Tony could get around either of us at will, uh we weren't the ones keeping the ball out of the net. <laughs> That's
1: true. That's true.
0: There's a photo to confirm it. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: We've beaten this one to death, guys. What is next on our <laughs> list here? It's the best part of the show, the mailbag. Ooh.
0: Oh, sorry. I just wanted to say one more one more closing comment on defense. Just like my philosophy and the Bike Polo Toronto philosophy that you'll hear people, if you've ever played, I think of ESPYS, which who knows when that's ever going to happen again. But you'll hear Bike Polo Toronto yelling this at different players, encouraging them on defense. Uh, it's the philosophy of no space. Make them be give. Don't give the player with the ball the space to do anything that they want to with it get in their face, get your mallet in their face, touch your mallet to their mallet. You're allowed to do that. Make them beat you. Don't let don't give them the room to do their fancy tricks. If they're better than you and they get around you and they beat you and, you know, that's going to happen sometimes. If they're a better player, maybe they're going to beat you, but make them be the better player. Make them beat you in that moment because something you'll see time and time again at tournaments is when Players who maybe they're not as strong, maybe one team isn't as strong as the other team, but if the weaker team hits a couple shots and makes the better team beat them, you know, when you're put under pressure like that, you can see that's when you see the defensive upsets happen, and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Great closing comment. I love that. Great mindset to carry with you
1: into uh, different games. All right, let's the get to the mailbag. wins though.
0: championships. Mailbag, mailbag.
2: <laughs> mailbag. mailbag. Uh, we've only got one email this week. Uh, and it comes from Brett from Montreal. And he writes, Can I also just give you my take on the SPD versus Times debate? No. So, times are, just absolutely, <laughs> times are absolutely the better pedal. But in my experience, anyone who rides Times always goes out of their way to tell you how much better they are. And for that reason alone, I refuse to get them. It's like when you're drinking a basic Tim Hortons and McDonald's coffee, and then someone feels the need to tell you, Why don't you drink real coffee? That's just piss. SPDs are fine. They work. Professional athletes use them. They're cheap and easy to find at pretty much any bike shop. You might unclip easier, but that usually just means you need to replace your cleats. If you have times, great, but shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> I have to admit, I read this and I was like, yes, me and Brett were kindred spirits. I totally, I, I, I refuse to get them now just because of the times. Well, there you go. And actually, I, I, Brett made some pretty good memes about times uh, on his Chasser <laughs> memes page on Instagram. Uh no. so yes, I agree with this. What do you guys think? To reignite the classic Times versus SPD debate. I think this is getting more heated than the seven hundred twenty six <laughs> debate.
1: Honestly, SPD versus Times, I think Brett hits it right on the head here. He hits all the important points. Yes, they're absolutely the better pedal. Yes, we won't stop talking about it because they're absolutely the better pedal. And that's just the end of the debate.
0: Yeah. Actually conf- one thing I have a confession. Um, Lisa and I recently went on a road trip and she put this podcast on, on the road trip as like a meta thing to weird me out. And (laughs) we listened to the episode where we discussed the time versus SPD debate. And I have never heard myself be such a dick <laughs> like like Liam's trying to explain something and I'm just like well let me tell you about time pedals, and like <laughs> oh man I don't I don't think in the defense of time players I don't know that there's a way to have that conversation where you don't come off like a dick because like I just I want you to have this good thing that that, that we have but oh man it is it is hard to it is hard to say and uh I I mean, I wish I, I, you know, I wish you would. I wish you the toe retention that you deserve, but you know, use whatever pedal you want. <laughs> uh, it takes guts and humility to admit you're wrong. Don't worry, I have an extra <laughs>
1: pair. When Liam's not looking, I'm gonna put him on his bike. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Actually, one thing I do disagree though in this thing is how he equates Tim Hortons and McDonald's coffee um, to both being piss. And I would disagree with that. I would say McDonald's has the slightly better coffee um but here i am proving his point about uh being a coffee (laughs) snob as opposed to being a pedal snob i like just going back and
0: forth between them so that whenever i get sick of one and i'm like ah this again if i just get the other one uh it's like it's like fresh like it tastes it always tastes better but then after a couple weeks i'm like nah i gotta get the other one and then it tastes better so
1: yeah
0: let's be frank here okay you don't get tim horton's mcdonald's
1: coffee because you want to taste something good yeah, and you because, don't write SPDs because you want good pedals. Oh, my God. You're going to listen to this one, too, and regret it. Um, you get them because you want something warm. You want the caffeine boost. And it's like 6 a.m. in the morning. You're driving to work. Like, that's why you get Tim Hortons or McDonald's coffee. And it does the trick just fine. I don't trust judge anyone for that. But uh, I do love a good premium roast, um, ethically sourced every once in a while, too.
2: Uh, okay. okay, well, I think we've got, um, well, okay. once again, you can email us, northsidepolopodcast oh. at gmail.com. Uh, you can also send us a DM on Instagram, northsidepolopodcast. Um, so I think we'll, we'll go to the beer point, which is um, a sort of, I mean, they're always, I guess they've sort of taken on the off-topic um, mantra, but it's our 10th episode. Beer point. Guys. Did you know that? We've done 10 of these.
1: I love the beer point.
2: Yeah. Time has flown. And it's I, been a long time th- since we started this. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it would be cool as a podcast to shout out, um, maybe just say one or two or three of your other favorite podcasts, because I know both of you guys, well, I think we all are um, avid podcast listeners, so um, I thought we would uh, share some of our favorites. They obviously don't have to be bike pole related since i think there's only three
1: <laughs> for sure for sure i, <laughs> At I don't least mind the here um i mean All obviously right. we got to shout out some of the bike bowl podcast that inspired us to get this moving so yes. the yes the fuck polo um from the beehive bays there um it's a great one gabe's running down there and he does a lot of like live courtside interviews which is really cool and then obviously the shuffle cast uh those guys, I think Caleb's on that crew. Uh, there's, there's a couple other guys that do an awesome job. It's been a while since I listened to it, but I remember when I was starting playing polo, like listening to the shuffle cast, just playing solo polo uh, for hours. And just some of their interviews were just amazing and gave me so many good rookie tips to uh, learn and get better at the game. I loved it. And that's a big part of the reason why we started doing this podcast because we missed playing it in the quarantine and wanted to talk about it. But my personal favorite podcast to listen to, um let's see here i listen to a lot of nba podcasts um because i'm a big basketball fan but i think some of the ones i've listened to lately i've got two cbc podcasts canadian broadcasting company podcasts that i've been listening to and the first one is called other people's problems so this is a (laughs) podcast about psychotherapy Um, i'm a social worker so i enjoy this and it's just uh candid therapy sessions recorded and clipped um which is strange from an ethics perspective but i guess they must have consent to release it and they change all the identifiers and don't give really enough to figure out how anyone is but it's really amazing insight to people who are experiencing mental health problems and what they're going through and the great thing about it is that when you're hearing these people sort through their problems with this skilled therapist it can help you sort through your own problems and just make you feel like you're not alone with some of the issues you're going through and i really like that podcast it's awesome and another one I've been listening to lately is another CBC podcast called Ideas, which is, uh, I guess, like CBC's version of like Lab or they're trying to make it like that. It's just interesting, like documentary style stories about random scientific and historical topics. And I like it a lot for uh, just expanding my brain. They did a great episode on chickens the other day, all about chickens, chickens through history, the science of chickens. I learned a lot about chickens and I liked it. Those are two of my favorites right now. Great stuff. Alex, do you want to give us some of yours?
0: Um, so I'll just, I'll also shout out uh, other bike polo podcasts that we haven't talked about. I think um, there's the NYC bike polo podcast. I think it's called bikepolo.nyc. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, they mm. have 36 episodes. So we've got a ways to go to catch up to that. Oh, um, their most recent episode is from 2016. Um, so if you want a little bit of that history of bike polo, uh, you know, pre quarantine polo jams. That's a good one. <laughs> and Riley Bike Polo did a polo podcast during the pandemic where he discussed with his non polo playing roommate and watched a game uh from North Americans that year. That was pretty cool. Looking at Riley Polo's YouTube channel, he's got a Poutine the Net 2019 video that I haven't watched yet, so I am Oh that is the first thing I'm gonna do as soon as we're done. Uh, this podcast, I'm going to watch that video because I'm excited to see what that is. Um, But those are just two other bike polo podcasts that are out there. Uh, The podcast I probably enjoy the most, like I find myself on Tuesdays refreshing my feed to see when they drop their episode, uh, usually because it corresponds with my commute to work, um, is it's called Shift F1. Uh, During quarantine, my partner and I binged netflix drive to survive which is their documentary series about f1 racing i didn't think i would have any interest in like the bougiest sport imaginable (laughs) uh i didn't think that i could get into car racing like it just seems so stupid i think the drive to survive is the best produced sports documentary i've ever seen it makes the sport pretty accessible the shift f1 podcast also really interesting hosts, they have great discussions, they also made the sport a lot more accessible um, I mean, I can be a sucker for, for a good sports narrative and story and F1, just the way that they have their season format, like the way that their their season works and the way the races work uh, it does such a good job of, of, it really lends itself to having interesting personal stories as you follow the drivers uh, and the teams and like, yeah man, I I got hooked, I got the bug and I have not I haven't gotten sick of it yet uh, it's it's really, really good. And on a side note, one of the hosts, do you know the meme of the dude blinking? It's like white guy blinking.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember you told me this. <laughs> yeah, that guy. He's,
0: he, he, he's the host. He hosts this podcast. Um, <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I, It's an, you know, hosted by an internet celebrity, if you will. Uh, really, really cool podcast. And they like read my email out when I randomly sent them one and didn't understand anything. That was cool.
2: <laughs> nice. There you go. I guess I'll give my three quick, quick ones. Uh, I also enjoy NBA podcasts, but I'm probably not as hardcore as you, Gavin. Um, but my favorite is The Steam Room, which is uh, Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley from the Inside the NBA
0: what uh, crew.
2: Uh, yeah, it's a great podcast. Uh, they it do is a great podcast. Even if you don't like I basketball love, that much. Uh, yeah, I know. It's not, it doesn't, it, it's not super basketball heavy, but uh, I just love Charles Barkley. And Ernie Johnson is a consummate professional. <laughs> and uh, it, it's great. Um, I'm a loyal steamer, as they say. Um, another one is uh, Creative Control. That's with two Ks Creative Control. It's a podcast that my former boss um, or manager, rather, from uh, when I used to work in campus radio, uh, he had this podcast all about music culture and he would do long form interviews with um, lots of uh, musicians and artists, creators, writers. And uh, it's very well done. He's a very great interviewer, so uh, that's a great one. And the last one is another CBC one. It's called Under the Influence, which was uh, it's a great radio show all about marketing and all about the advertising business. And it's very uh, it's very well produced, and it's very fun to listen to. I like I like podcasts that are not too uh, you know depressing, like we were talking about true. true crime.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of depressing I don't need none of that these days yeah my partner like loves your true crime podcasts
2: <laughs> that's why we keep it light here we keep it yeah light.
0: we
1: want to keep it fun you know just yeah. get the juices flowing <laughs> give you that polo rush you need in uh, the middle of the pandemic and you know what we hope to continue doing this for a long time we're 10 episodes in and it doesn't seem like we got any sign of stopping we're just picking up steam right now i'd say what do you guys think yep i'm oh, also yeah. a steamer Another 90 to go yeah, Then we get to 100, then we can retire once we get to 100.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, New York bike polo nice are the bar 100%. at 36. I hope, 36, I hope so we at least can, 37 uh, exceed that.
1: That'd be awesome if we could. Eh? Well, we'll keep trying, we'll keep trying to make good, exciting content discussing various topics in bike polo. But you know what? If you have a topic you want us to talk about, hit us up on the email podcast at gmail.com. That's northsidepolopodcast at gmail.com, or you could DM us on Instagram and give us your questions you want us to air and we'll read them out here and we'll have a conversation about them. you give them a really great one maybe we'll make an episode about it um i want to thank everyone for listening all the way to the end of this episode another long one for you guys but so worth it um we're wishing you guys all the best out there uh keep your rubber side down and i'll see you on the court have a good one everyone talk to you later